afternoon, everybody out there listening to my show. This is Blake Ruby, the Reverend Blake Ruby. My show is The Church of the Soul's Evolution. How have you been over the last week? Well, I hope I'm okay. It's a cold day here in San Antonio, Texas. It's cloudy right now. There's a gray cloud cover, and the temperature is in the 40s. It has been all day. And I think this is one of the last few bits of cold weather that we're going to have before it starts getting hot here in San Antonio. And I've seen it year after year. And I've been here for going on 13 years now. I actually was here 50 years ago, 51 years ago this year, when my father and I, came here in 1972 to buy a car for me. I was living in Guadalajara, Mexico with my parents. And my dad bought an airplane. And we had a a good time here. We spent about two days. And you know what? I just remembered, I think... It was just me and my dad. It wasn't with my parents. It was just my dad and me. And we went to the Tower of the Americas, which is a huge tower in downtown San Antonio. Been there since 1967, I think. That's when they built it. And he bought me a brand new Vega, Chevrolet Vega GT, 1972. Wrote out a check for $3,300. Yes. And I remember pulling up to a Corvette. I was feeling good. It was a nice cherry red color, a GT, right? Chevrolet Vega GT. And it had a 2300cc engine, four speed. But it wasn't that fast, you know, compared to a Corvette. I pulled up to this Corvette, and I was feeling pretty good. I had my new car. I was driving around at nighttime. And so we were at the stoplight, and this Corvette pulled up alongside me. I revved up my engine, and uh, he was a game for a race. And and I popped the clutch when the light turned green, and it just sat there bouncing. It was a weird feeling because, you know, there was no weight to the rear end. So instead of peeling rubber, you know, like the Corvette did a little bit, it just sat there bouncing. The rear end was bouncing off, off the ground. No weight in the rear end and uh, not enough torque, I guess you can say. But anyway, that was very embarrassing. But I learned that it wasn't just your ordinary car. It was a four-cylinder. It was light. And God was good to me because I survived that time in Guadalajara. I used to race my car all the time. And I had friends that were racers, too. They would race their cars. They even had a place where we could take our cars on Saturday afternoons in this neighborhood where they were building houses and had all these streets paved. And they mapped out a course around the that area there. And we would uh, race cars. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really... a an official race, but we would see how fast our cars could go. And, and it was interesting. And one time I had a good friend by the name of Luis 
Luis Buenrostro. Believe it or not, when we moved to Guadalajara, Mexico, there was an ice skating rink there. And having moved straight from Ottawa, Canada, we were surprised to see an ice skating rink in the middle of Mexico, 5,200 feet above sea level. And Guadalajara is about a mile above sea level, and it's in the mountains. And it's a beautiful city, you know, one of the best climates in the world, a very temperate climate. One of those best, I mean, alongside of San Diego and Caracas, Venezuela, and there's a place in South Africa where, when I say a temperate climate, I mean, like, it doesn't get too hot, it doesn't get too cold, and it's a very beautiful city. There's fountains everywhere, and there's roses everywhere. Back then, there was. I don't know about now. And... I'm drinking my, you ever heard of Marmite? It's a, a, kind of like a protein drink. My parents used to eat Marmite. They used to put it on toast. And it's good with hot water. You know, it's a, it's a good drink. It's English. You know, my parents were English, so they used to eat a lot of Marmite. And, of course, I did, too, growing up with my parents. Anyway. So, Dad bought an airplane here in San Antonio in 1972, and along with a friend or two, I forget how many men he was with, but they flew down to Honduras to look for gold. My father was an entrepreneur. He was always trying one thing or another to make money. I think I might have said this before in previous shows. I can't remember, but it's been a while if I did. That Dad, he retired as a major from the Canadian Army. He'd been in the British Army in World War II at Normandy and Dunkirk. So my parents were, Mum went through the bombing of London. My parents were war babies, and they had pretty bad PTSD, as you can imagine. So growing up with them, I got to see uh, what it was like for someone to have PTSD. My parents were alcoholics, you know. There's a lot of alcoholics out there. I was one, one time, but I gave it up back in 1988, so I broke that generational curse, yeah, baby, and I'm glad I did, too, because I was getting into trouble, you know, I couldn't drink in moderation, some people can drink in moderation, and that's good, you know, if you can, but as long as you don't let it take control of you, you know, it'll take you down the wrong road. And... But my parents were good to me. My mother was at one time told she couldn't have children, that she wasn't going to have children. And then along came me. But before that, they adopted my sister, who I love very much. Her name is Eleanor, and she lives in Seattle. And we stay in touch all the time. And we're going to visit her, God willing, this June when we go on a Another Alaska cruise. We went on one last year, so it's out of Seattle. And the plan is to go there and spend some time with her. And Eleanor is a cool sister. She always has been. I'm so grateful to God, Mother and Father God, for allowing me to have a sister who is like a... uh, She's always had my back, you know, over the years. And I love her. 
she's been through some stuff in her life, you know. She moved away from home early when she was 17. And dad didn't treat her very well, I think, because you know, she was adopted, maybe, I don't know. But me, I came along kind of unexpectedly, and my mother was overjoyed, of course, to be pregnant with me. And and anyway, I think my mother probably, she might have smoked and drank when she was pregnant with me. I, I'm guessing she never told me. I never asked her. But you look around, there's a lot of people out there like me. And uh, without saying anything negative about women, they have such a great responsibility to look after the children that they have growing in their wombs for nine months. You know, it's quite an incredible task, a monumental task to take care of themselves and also provide enough nutrition for the baby to grow optimally. You know, you ever see that movie Happy Feet where the... uh, the father looks after the egg, and the egg comes out um, of his underneath him and rolled out in the cold weather and is exposed to the cold. And so he, he never grows to be like uh, someone who looks older and more mature. And that is quite a common thing, I think, in our world. And it doesn't mean... Uh, that maybe one's life expectancy might be less, but that is a concern, you know. So Happy Feet, he's able to do just about everything the other penguins can do, and he's very, he's a good dancer, kind of like me. But he he doesn't turn out the same as the other penguins. He looks different. He is different, you know. And I think that's the case with me too. Yet. That's not a subject I want to dwell on for a long time, you know, I'm just saying. I try to be as transparent and as honest as possible, you know. God has been good to me. My heart is still beating strongly. I hope to live a lot more years, but who knows? Tomorrow might not be here for me, you know. But I'm almost 69 years old, and I'm grateful to have lived that many years. Isn't it going to be fantastic when we do transition from this life to the afterlife? going to be amazing. But I'm still capable of doing some really good stuff. My body is very well coordinated. Today I went to the track at a local high school and and did three 100-meter sprints. And I'm a good sprinter. I've been told that I am very fast, you know, and I think I am. My body moves very fast, and that's even... With having one kidney, you know, I donated one of my kidneys to my son back in 1995. Also, that's with um, being diagnosed with spondylolisis and spondylolisthesis, which is I've had the hyperextension injury has happened like three or four times in my life where I've backwards. I used to play ice hockey. I used to skate, and I've fallen while skating backwards. And when I fell backwards, the brunt of my fall was, was sustained was, um, how would you say, how would you describe it? I fell on my right elbow, and to break my fall, 
and there was a jamming in my neck. I think I pinched a nerve in there, but I also fractured my spine and misaligned my fourth and fifth lumbar vertebrae. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, you know, I'm on the subject right now. When I talk, I love my radio show because I can talk continuously for an hour, and it's quite a thing to be able to do so because you have to change subjects quite often, you know, branch off from one thing to another, and try to do it in an orderly way, but sometimes it doesn't always happen that way. I might cut, I might cut myself off on a particular subject and not really finish it, but then go on to something else and start talking about that without going back and finishing my thought, if you know what I mean. But I have a lot to offer, I feel. That's why I love my show. Besides being able to talk for an hour, I can talk about meaningful subjects. And... One of my favorite subjects to talk about are extraterrestrials, which I think are out. I know are out there. We know they're out there. We hear them coming faster than the speed of light. They greet us in the dead of the night. And so, oh, they're out there listening. I'm not sure. If I was them monitoring the human species, our civilization, why not tune in to Internet radio to listen to myself and see other people? You know, it must be kind of boring up there in outer space when you're monitoring a civilization to see how it's going to turn out, you know. In the very beginning, from it could be a period of a thousand years of observation, monitoring a particular civilization. One particular species called the Verdants are the stereotypical gray aliens, you know, five feet tall or less, with big dark eyes, extremely... I say, when I say extremely, I mean extremely, extremely intelligent. You know, they're capable of traveling around the universe in a very quick fashion. You know, their spaceships can can travel trillions of miles an hour, trillions of miles in, in a few seconds, you know, which is still pretty slow compared to the speed of light, apparently. So let's say they're, I'm not, I can't remember where they're from, they're, their solar system or their constellation might be 100,000 light years away. And traveling at the speed of light would take 100,000 years to get to where they are. So not only do they traverse the universe in kind of like conventional mode, which would be kind of like bending, warping gravity, time, space, because according to Einstein, and Einstein was correct in that nothing can go faster than the speed of light in the material universe, but when you get up to the speed of light and then you have all these forces weighing in on you, that mass that contracts and that energy building up, they're able to convert that energy in many different ways to include going into another dimension, going into the parallel universes and I don't know if there's more than one, but I do know there's one. And then once they're in the parallel universe and their spaceship and their whole beings are molecularly rearranged and changed, transformed, then they can travel wherever they want to go just by thinking, you know. And that's the future, like some spaceships. I know some aliens are able to put their hands on like a dashboard. You know, there's a place for uh, their hands to fit. You know, they've got little hands, some do. 
and they kind of drive the spaceship by thinking if they want to go left and they want to go high, higher up, um, they want to go up or down, in other words, or they want to go fast or slow, or they want to turn right. It's kind of like the Apache helicopter. You've got the pilot that has the helmet on, and he turns his head in the direction of firing his his guns, you know. Well, yes, we live in a violent civilization and have been doing so for many thousands of years. Isn't that right? Do I hear an amen out there? Not that we support that, right? Because we love peace. We want peace for our children's children in the future. Anybody um, not want that? Or we want people to die. Well, anybody that wants that, warmongers included, please feel free to pick up your gun and go to the front line and risk your life and and have that on your conscience to taking someone's life. Because I guarantee you, you take someone's life, they're going to be hanging around you like a ghost. I mean, for real. You know, I'll tell you the truth. That's what happens. Like, my father killed a German, at least one anyway. He used to wake up in the middle of the night swinging, you know, besides being drunk and peeing in the bed, you know, that kind of drunk, um, drinking until he blacked out, you know. Yes, you kill somebody, and they're going to be hanging around you until you pass away. And then you're going to have to maybe pay back karmic debt in a future life to make up for taking someone's life against their own will. That's the truth. I'm going to take another drink here. So I guess the moral of that story is try not to kill anybody. You know, war, just like that song from the 60s. Huh! What's it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. It's only good. The only friend you got is the undertaker in a war. Yeah? But I know that the um, the war machine, the the world's war machine, makes a lot of money, you know? It's too bad we have, we have to live in a monetary society because... Hold on just a minute. Yeah, there's TV on inside. It's making a lot of noise, but my my granddaughter, I think she turned up the volume because she hears me out here talking. But I don't want to... It's only lasting for a little while, I think. They're screaming. They're, they're violent movies. So. There's violent movies all over television, right? But violent cells, right? Just like that album by Megadeth. The head of the heavy metal group, peace sells, but who's buying? What sells most is war, with the war machine, violent videos, violent movies, fantasy violence. But reality, eh, you have an active shooter event, all of a sudden people are, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Well, well why were you watching fantasy violence, you know? You need to get your head kind of grounded in reality. You know, get in touch with reality. I need to do that more myself. You know, we all should. Look up at the stars at night. You know, go out there. Think of all the extraterrestrial civilizations that are out there. Thousands and thousands. You know, peace. Space is a peaceful domain. That's meant to be that way. That's why I don't like Star Wars. Any Star Wars people out there, I'm sorry if I offend you by saying this, but... That's not a good name for a movie because, I mean, get real. You want, you want war or do you want peace? 
you have to ask yourself. If you're one of the people that want war, well, then I'm sorry. I'm going to have to disagree with you respectfully. You can have your own opinion. You're entitled to that. But war is only good for killing. You want your children's children to be engaged in war in the future, or do you want peace? The logical person obviously would say, I want peace. And that is the right thing to do. Only It's only the young souls that, that are thinking about war and fighting and killing. It goes on and on. But then that's our planet, too. Planet Earth is a Category 1 planet on the evolutionary ladder. And there's been a history of... Hold on just a minute, please. Go ahead. Yes, there's been a history of killing, and you see Earth is, is a very beautiful, wonderful world. I've got a song. I'm going to sing some songs for you if I have time. I think I will. I'll make time. It's a wonderful world with all the variety of life. It's a jewel in the universe, but it's also a planet of the lowest evolutionary level or category. And around the universe, there are other planets which are of a higher category of evolution. Now, Earth being the way it is, with its atmospheric conditions and the uh, Mother Nature, uh, the power of Mother Nature in the form of hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes exploding and also the animal life here on Earth, uh, the majority of it eat each other, eat each other. You don't think that affects our psyche? And But most of us volunteered to come here to planet Earth before we were born in our pre-existence. Yes, we just can't remember. That's all. Very simply stated, my friends, you just can't remember. We can't remember. But there was a few people, there was one... One in particular, his name is Roy Mills. He wrote a book called The Soul's Remembrance. The Soul's Remembrance. Check it out in the Amazon Kindle bookstore or on Amazon. He remembers God, the Spirit Father, and there's a Spirit Mother, too. The Spirit Father gave him this very specific mission. He had asked for it. He had heard about it in his preexistence that he would be allowed, some people were allowed to come to Earth with the knowledge and remembrance of the pre-existence, life in heaven before coming here. Now, the logical and intelligent person must consider that as a possibility, and therefore, subsequently, would understand that you came to this world and you were made to forget where you came from for a very specific reason, and that is to develop yourself spiritually because this planet offers basic social values learning and also dealing with that negativity. And there's no devil per se, you know, because the creator created everything. And the omniscient creator wouldn't have created anything that he would have foreseen it being disobedient to him, her, in the future, or would have given the devil equal power to him or herself. Does that make sense? 
Yes, it does. Perfect logical sense. Now, some people, they're stuck in that box of not being able to think outside of it. Um, they're only thinking what they're told, what they have been told, rather than thinking for themselves. And, and they deny logic. They deny reason. But I don't want to go down the road uh, debating. I could debate anybody. I'd be more than happy to debate the reality of the devil with anybody, if you want to call in right now. But I've offered that before, and no one has. Because I'm making good sense, I think. And that negativity is associated with this planet, specifically what I mentioned, the atmospheric conditions, the animals that eat each other, the forces of Mother Nature. And we volunteered to come here. I think most of us did because it was a great opportunity to develop ourselves spiritually and increase the, the light of our souls. I mean that literally. Increase the light, the lamp of our souls which are the brains of the spirit. The brain of the spirit. Just like you have a brain, like we have a brain in our physical body. And I've said this a lot of times before. I'm not holding anything back, my friend. We're walking the razor's edge here, you know, in a world that where violence is happening all the time on television, the news, the negativity, what I just mentioned to you is positivity. The question is whether or not you can handle it. Can you handle the truth? All I'm saying is just the truth. But I know it kind of bounces off some people because they're not willing to accept it for different reasons. One reason might be because they want to figure it out themselves. They want to figure it out themselves. They don't want people to tell them the truth. They want to figure it out. They, yeah, they might not ever figure it out. They might die and transition to the afterlife without having known the truth of a lot of matters, a lot of things. And that's a shame, because I know from what I've heard, books that I've read, people that have had near-death experiences that have almost died, is that there's a lot of regret and remorse, people that, that lament on not knowing better or should have known better if I'd only done this, if I could have done that, if I'd listened to so-and-so. Yes, it's true. A lot of people are going to dark places, too. There's different planes of darkness, you know, in the afterlife. Ultimately, we will all get back to where we were before. I don't believe in eternal damnation because our mother and father, God in heaven, are very loving, more forgiving and loving than our parents here on earth. And I'm a parent myself, you know. So, and if they are more loving than us, just think about it. Your children, would you condemn them to an eternity of pain and suffering because they disobeyed you? I think not. That's some good stuff. Marmite. May I recommend it? You can buy it. It's a very dark, black, sticky, kind of tar-like substance that is chock-a-block full of vitamins, B vitamins, and it tastes good, too. You can either drink it with hot water, or you can have it on toast, spread it on toast with a little bit of butter if you like. That's one of my weaknesses, butter. I'm a vegan, basically, and have been for over 24 years, going on 24 years. Vegetarian, actually, the 29th of March, 1999, I became a vegetarian, and then the 29th of September, 1999, I became a vegan. But every once in a while, I'll eat stuff that's got a little bit of dairy or a little bit of eggs in it, you know. My wife, she eats everything. I bought her a couple of steaks today. I bought her some lobster tails and some trout. 
I take good care of my wife. She's off now on her way to a casino at the border called Kickapoo. And I gave her some money, spending money, $800, and I gave my stepdaughter 300 And I hope they win. I hope uh, they get lucky. God, please help them. Keep them safe. First of all, it's a two-hour drive. God, bring them safely there and take them safely there and bring them home safely, please, God. And if it could be your will, God, please help them to win. My stepdaughter, she doesn't have a job. She lives here with her, with her grandchildren. And I feel, I mean, I've kind of rebelled against that, if you will, in the past. Um, and now it makes my wife happy. So happy wife, happy life. And also I feel I'm blessed. So I'm blessing them, you know, by looking after them. And so I've got a 13-year-old granddaughter, a 21-year-old granddaughter, and a 23-year-old grandson. And uh, I bought the grandson a car, a brand-new 17 Camry back then. And it's about paid off. I think I've got one more payment after uh, the end of this month. And then it'll be 72 months, all paid off. Still worth about 20000 Anyway, so we live together, and... I feel like that's one of the things I've been told to do or asked to do by God, our mother and father, God in heaven. And yes, there is a mother God, logically, father God. When you see father God in heaven, you're going to remember, hopefully, well, you don't have to, but when you stand in front of the father God, you're going to be so blown away by his light and his power and his knowledge and his intelligence It'll be a washing over you, a glory. The glory and brilliance will wash over you, just like Hurricane Ford's winds. That's what, how powerful that light is going to be. And the Father God is very beautiful, very beautiful, handsome, everything. Incredible, and very big, too, as big as a house. Because guess what? When you're in the Spirit, you're still growing. Just like you're on Earth, we grow from babies to adults, you know? They're in the Spirit world. The Spirit grows. That's why... I was mentioning one of the goals for us humans when we are born into this world is to increase the light of our souls. Every night, every time I have my show, I get a, wow, I'm sharing this information that I've learned from other people, but, you know, it's something that is rarely talked about. It's kind of taboo to talk about this kind of spirituality, kind of like opening up Pandora's box, you know? But I'm so set, my mind is so set and determined to spread some positivity around this world with a history of such negativity to include war and killing that I, uh, I have the courage to do that, you know, and I'm, I'm getting older too. My mother put me on the right path. My mother was, I mean, she was as hard as they come, you know, having been through the bombing of London, she would, it's one of those people that would rush hell with a bucket of water, if you know what I mean. It was, she, seriously, she was that way. She was, she had, her eyes were on fire sometimes. And she was so determined to do some of the things that she did, you know. And she was a mystic. She studied mysticism. She had 22 degrees in the Rosicrucian order. The Rosicrucians were an order dating back to the Egyptian times, 5,000 years ago. And so I don't mind talking about this. Plus, other people, they talk about similar things. I mean, religion is just 
like a watered down version, if you will, of what I talk about, you know, it's like you go to school in the university of the universe, let's say you're learning about religion, about Jesus, which is a very noble endeavor. There's no more noble endeavor, in my opinion, than to learn about the life of Jesus, you know, because think of all the miracles that he performed, you know, changing water into wine, curing leopards, curing the blind, some blind people, uh, people who are paralyzed, people who are sick, people who are dead, raising people from the dead, feeding people on the Sermon on the Mount. There was a couple of those, 5,000 and 4,000 people, two different times. I don't know if you heard about the 4,000. And raising Lazarus from the dead, walking on the water, calming the seas. The man was a walking miracle, because how? How did he do that? I'll tell you how. Because he had the knowledge of how to do it. And then in coordination with extraterrestrials up above and having the use of their technology, he was able to perform those miracles. Because guess what, my friend? There's no fantasy, kind of wave a magic wand kind of thing happens, you know, which you don't really know how it happened. You don't care to think about it or find out how it happened or do a little research into how it happened. You just take it for granted without asking any questions. You don't have a clue of how you walked on the water or raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm, I tell you the truth. It's in coordination with these extraterrestrials who have technology like beaming technology and medical technology where they can administer some drugs surreptitiously that would slow a heartbeat down and then administer drugs to get the heartbeat going again to a normal rate which make the person look like they were dead, you know, for a few days, that they were still alive. Lazarus, point, case in point, you know, uh, walking on the water very simply uh, tracked a beam from the spaceship and feeding the people on the Sermon on the Mount very simply matter transformation being beamed down from the ship, you know, and including the baskets that kept them, you know, those baskets came from somewhere, right? Unless you're thinking, wave the magic wand or his fingers, and uh, they, they appeared. No, it doesn't work that way in the material universe. It might work that way in heaven, but not in the material universe. The laws of materiality apply to everything. That's why those ETs are out there, and they've been helping us. And that's just one race in particular I'm talking about that assisted Jesus, where Jesus came from. He lived on their planet, actually, just like an avatar where the body... They make these blue bodies, and they slip their spirits into the blue bodies and walk around in them, kind of like what happened with Jesus. They made a human body. Yes, yeah, a very complex matter, making a human body. You have to take into consideration all the different kinds of body. There's a fluidic body. There's an astral body. There's a, a physiological body. Three or four bodies that constitute the human body, and it takes a lot of knowledge and care and precision and detail on how to create a human body in coordination with the cosmic forces that are out there and speaking the right words, etc., and also technology. And so Jesus is studying the life, <coughs> excuse me, let me take a drink. Studying the life of Jesus, and especially the miracles, is, in my opinion, the most noble pursuit that an intellectual person could undertake. 
myself included. I've watched The Gospel of John by Philip Seville. The director was Philip Seville. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. The Gospel of John over a hundred times. And why you might ask yourself, would I watch a movie over a hundred times? Because I learn new things all the time. I've got exactly everything in my mind, how it happened, every single detail of the Gospel of John is in my mind. I can tell you it inside and out like the back of my hand. But there's more than your ordinary Christian. Why? Because I know the truth. I've, I've sought the truth. The door was open to me because I knocked on it. I prayed about it. I was told the truth. I might not have everything right, but for the most part, I think I've got a lot of things right. You know what I'm saying? How about a song? What kind of song? I've got, I wrote down, I've got a board, you know, one of these chalkboards, whiteboards with um, markers, you know. I wrote down all the songs I know that I, I know by heart, that I memorized. And there's about 150, you know, I'm looking at right now. I'm singing a solo in church tomorrow. It's called All Night. And it goes goes like this. All night I wouldn't let go. Actually, I wouldn't give up. Let's start again. All night I wouldn't give up. Oh, the choir sings that. I sing all night I wouldn't let go. All night I just held on. I said, I called. And they said, I called on the Lord all night long. And I wouldn't let go until they blessed my soul. I'm a witness that he came through. And and then I say, and they say, I'm a witness. And I say, thank you, Jesus, or great God Almighty, that he came through. And then I started again. All, All night. And this is really, um, this this talking about Jacob and wrestling with an angel, you know, so it's a really cool bit of history there that happened in the Bible, you know. All night, I wouldn't give up. All night, I wouldn't let go. All night, I just held on. I called, I called on the Lord. All night long, and I wouldn't let go until he blessed my soul. I'm a witness. Thank you, Jesus, that he came through. Jacob wrestled with the angel all night long. He wouldn't let go until the break of dawn. He said, you got to bless me before you leave. I felt the same way when I was on my knees. I asked the Lord to help me to be strong. I called him all night long, all night. And then it goes on and on a couple of times. And and we go into like the vamp, which is, I called on the Lord all night long. I called on the Lord all night long. I called on the Lord. I called on the Lord. Anyway, that's interesting, but Jacob, that angel that Jacob wrestled with was actually an extraterrestrial, 
that in the Bible, again, the material universe applies. The laws of the material universe apply. Angels, yes, they exist. You'll see countless throngs of angels in heaven, but and they do interact with us here on Earth, and I don't know exactly how many specifically angels interacted with the people back there, like the shepherds before Jesus was born, and and uh, the Virgin Mary, you know, who was artificially inseminated by this race of extraterrestrials. Yeah, there's no fantasy, something that happened that people don't even think about or wonder why or how it happened, where she was impregnated somehow. Artificial insemination, very simply, and the probe, the light above the manger, heavenly bodies are constantly in motion. They cannot stop above an object and shine a light down for a couple of days, was it three days? Very simply, an extraterrestrial probe that was rendered luminous, my friends, shining down on the manger, because it was a very difficult time back then. You have to understand there was light for divine intervention. There was a lot of evil and negativity going on, a lot of murder, rape, sexual immorality. The world was heading down the wrong path, and so the time was right to send a Savior. But the Jesus that was born in Bethlehem wasn't the same Jesus that died on the cross, because after Jesus, was, who was born in Bethlehem, was about 12 years old, he left the region. That's why, in the Bible, he just disappeared and then showed up apparently 18 years later, you know, for his ministry when he was 30 years old. But that Jesus was the extraterrestrial who died on the cross, and that was the mission, you know. And if you want to believe he died for our sins, well, in a way he did, you know, because he was the Savior. I mean, it was all part of a plan to save planet Earth. So I guess you could say that our sins were kind of, forgiven the way things were back then. I mean, yeah, it was a plan to take away the sins of the world, if you will, but not in as much as, you know, if you believe in Jesus, he died on the cross and your sins are forgiven. That doesn't give you a free ticket to make to continue sinning in your life, you know? I think what's more important is that we recognize that he was brought back to life after he died on the cross. Am I right? Or am I right? And so he was taken to the tomb. They say that he stayed in there, and Easter's coming up, you know. I know the truth. And he was beamed out of that tomb onto the spaceship, and he was restored to life. His heart was brought back to beating, and he started breathing again. And then he showed up on the Sea of Galilee there. He had breakfast with the disciples, you know, and he got them ready for them going out and spreading the word, you know, when he sat there and he had breakfast, he, he looked at Peter three times, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, you love me more than them, the other disciples. And he said, yes, I, I love you, Lord. And they all looked at the other disciples and said, hey, what, what makes you think you love him more than me? You know, but anyway, so then he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? He just said, so he's kind of a little bit shocked that he asked him a second time. So he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And this time Peter was kind of got emotional, you know, and he started crying a little bit. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. 
And so Jesus was, he was prepping him for two things, actually, because he had denied Jesus three times. So that was the one of the reasons why he asked him three times if he loved him or not. But also to prepare him for the future, he said, when you were young, you used to go anywhere and do anything. But when you get older, he looked into the future, you know, Jesus could do that because... These extraterrestrials, they have the capability of looking into the future because of their intelligence. Imagine that. They are so smart that they can anticipate some things into the future. They knew that later on Peter would be persecuted for trying to convert people to Christianity, and he would be locked up in the prison and put in chains, and that he would die that way, you know? Even though at one time, well, that was Paul, too. Paul, Paul suffered a lot, too. And when Paul was on the road to Damascus, extraterrestrials, they shone that light down on him. You just can't think that in a material universe, things don't happen where there's a reason behind it, you know. There's no fantasy something or another that does this. This is very specifically a, a light that shone down in his eyes that was specifically made to blind him temporarily. And that's the truth. And his light, his sight was later restored which is cool. You know, it was all part of the plan. What a faith builder, you know, you talk about having faith. Can you imagine, first of all, being with the disciples and seeing Jesus perform all the miracles and then seeing him being resurrected, coming back to life and walking around. Oh my God, the faces of the people that you would meet, you know, but also with Paul, I mean, that's when, that was an incredible faith builder, you know, because he was after Jesus had came by, came along after Jesus had died and was resurrected and ascended above the clouds into the spaceship, you know. But his spirit right now is in heaven, in the throne room of the Mother and Father God, I believe. And there's a throne there. How about you? Do you want a throne in that throne room with Jesus who died on the cross? And the other Jesus, they say that he went and wound up in Japan got married, had children, died of a ripe old age of 90-some years old. Check it out on the Internet. I think it's called Honshu in some province. I forget the name of. That was the Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. The Jesus that died on the cross was the extraterrestrial. But the one that's there in heaven right now in the spirit lands on the sun, which is the spirit world, it's a fire of unknown origin, right? A fire of unknown origin where the spirit can live because the spirit is made of light energy. The spirit in your body is made of light energy. In my body, too. And you know what? It's scary to talk about this kind of stuff, but I do it for the benefit of all the people out there, you know. I might be thinking about it a little bit after the show, kind of worrying about, you know, how my soul's lamp has been increased. I feel it, you know, like, Wow, maybe I shouldn't have said some of that stuff. But I'm, I'm going all out, I'm not holding any punches, so to speak. You know, it is like one of the other shows on BBS Radio, the um, ass-kicking truth, so to speak, you know. And some people can't handle the truth. It's like, you know, the War of the Worlds on that radio, Orson Welles, 1930. Look what happened when, I mean, that wasn't even the truth there. That was just a fictitious event, you know, the War of the Worlds on the on the radio. People listened to the radio back then. Hey, people. some people listen to the radio now. I, I like listening to the radio myself. You know, I like the commercials better on radio than television. 
It just sounds, it sounds so much better. The commercials on television sound so condescending, you know? Uh, am I the only one that feels that way? How about you? I mean, you, if you're watching television, it's one thing, but if you're like in the kitchen washing the dishes or preparing some food and you hear television, it sounds like, well, these guys are cutthroat, you know, backstabbing kind of, I shouldn't say that, you know. If I don't have something nice to say, I won't say anything at all. Forgive me, please, but it's hard to take, you know. Going back to War of the Worlds, they realized that how people could panic, that they couldn't handle the truth. And that's why with Roswell, they didn't, they changed their minds about that spacecraft that was recovered in Roswell because it really did happen. The evidence is out there. They've got these documents, government documents that were redacted that say, and these are real, authentic government documents saying they recovered alien bodies there and, and a spacecraft. So the evidence is right there. It's overwhelming. It's undeniable. It's irrefutable that a spacecraft and alien bodies were recovered at Roswell, but they decided not to let the public know. They changed the story. The newspaper came out that they recovered a flying saucer or a flying disc and then changed the story to a weather balloon, which was absolutely crazy because the guy that recovered that wreckage, he was a major, uh, before he died on his deathbed, he said, yeah, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to die here in a few days. He had terminal cancer. Yeah, they made me say that. What I really did find was a flying saucer wreckage. It wasn't a weather balloon. I know what a weather balloon looks like. And it wasn't a weather balloon. So the guy then died shortly thereafter. You think he's going to make that story up? No, the logical person would see the evidence as being real. In that case, you know, that's real evidence for a logical person. An intelligent person would embrace that and say, well, yeah, I guess we have had contact with extraterrestrials. There is life out there. But for those of you that want real evidence, you're probably never going to get it. You know, that's one of the reasons why they haven't made contact with us, because evidence, there's so many other things that show that we have been visited in the past by extraterrestrials. And they're like probably scratching their head and saying, "No, how much evidence do these people want? You know, you want them, you want us to land in your backyard so you can touch the spacecraft and look into our eyes?" Well, no, I'm sorry because that's not going to be good for you. You know, that's not the sign of an intelligent, advanced civilization when they can't even connect the dots from the things that have happened, like I just mentioned with Roswell. You know, not to mention. Not to, I mean, lots of, there are lots of other instances, too, where flying saucers were, I mean, spaceships were recovered, extraterrestrial bodies were recovered all over the world throughout the years in the past. And so, like, also, in the movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, you know the military mind, you have a flying saucer show up in public, some ETs from wherever, the first thing they're going to do is surround it with M1 tanks, artillery pieces, machine guns, pistols drawn, rifles drawn, rifles aimed. Now, is that cool? Is that the kind of reception that you would want to meet a species, you know, to make that contact with a new species? 
them out there with their itchy trigger fingers, right? You know, because they're they're made of kind of. I mean, they're mortal, also. You know, they're not made of armor. They're, they're flesh and blood as well. They're different. You know, some are. And so, why would they do that? I mean, the evidence is really overwhelming. Plus, if you want to believe that there's life out there in the universe, and and you're waiting for some kind of other evidence, if you're a logical person, just thinks all this life here on Earth, maybe you might be an atheist. Consider the over a million types of insects, over 30,000 types of fish in the oceans, seas, rivers, and lakes, over 10,000 types of birds, reptiles, 9,000 types of amphibians, 5,000 types of mammals. If all this life happened by accident, logically it could happen by accident anywhere. You know, they're discovering new planets every day. So there's a ton of planets out there. I estimate throughout the entire universe, maybe... 95 trillion planets, Earth-like planets throughout the universe, 100 billion at least. And if life, that life here on Earth happened by accident, logically, if you're logical, if you're not, then, well, you're just a young soul, and hopefully you'll learn in the future, logically, that same life could happen by accident anywhere, Right? Isn't that logical? But if there is a creator, I'm going to take a drink. Now, don't, I've said this before, I don't confuse the creator of the universe with our mother and father God in heaven, the creators of our souls and spirits, because they're co-creator gods of solar systems. Because when the supreme creator created the first solar system with the Big Bang. It was many billions. Well, I got one minute. Oh, my God. Time has just flown by. I only sang one song. Oh, it's okay. I'll sing some more. I'm like in my show here. So thank you for listening. And I wish you the best. And here's a little prayer, quick prayer. Supreme creator of the universe, please bless us all, everybody. Keep us safe and well. Thank you for everything. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I love you. Talk to you later. I'll I'll be here next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye.